0: The kind of caricature of a New Year's resolution is that something is bothering you and you think about it on a very surface level. Like you smoke, pack a day of cigarettes, you decide you want to stop smoking, you give it a go from 2nd January or whatever. You don't make a plan, you don't think about how to measure your your progress. Eventually you, you rely on willpower alone and eventually you have a cigarette, say you have a cigarette around January 15th. You've decided because you have now had a cigarette then you have absolutely failed and then since you have failed and you are a failure then you just get back to smoking the pack a day that you were smoking before. So that's the character of a New Year's resolution and that's what we want to avoid. You have found the Thinking Mind Podcast. Alright everyone, it's the new year. Assuming this... Episode has been released on time. It should be January 7th. So that should have allowed enough time for people to probably try some resolution and fail. And now, what I'm hoping is we can use this podcast as a toolkit for how to do a New Year's resolution properly. So we're going to go through every step from choosing the resolution, how to frame the resolution correctly, how to make a plan, how to measure your results different tricks you can use to maximize the effectiveness of your plans, and some more nuanced points about the difficulties people have with resolutions. We're going to use a lot of principles from behavioral psychology, but of course the difficulty with resolutions isn't just these more superficial behavioral problems, but sometimes difficulties with resolutions can be due to deeper problems as well. And we'll talk a little bit about that too. So if you're serious about changing something in your life, there's something that you're not happy with or something that you feel could be better, I would envision this as a kind of step-by-step how-to. And of course, you can use it at any time of year. It doesn't have to be New Year's. You might listen to this once, try some stuff out and then re-listen. And I'll put a rough sketch, a rough plan of of the different tips and tools in in the show notes so you can have an overview that's written down. Uh, This episode was specifically requested by Dave. Shout out to Dave. Thanks for the request. The overriding theme is long-term change versus short-term change. Really, any change in life that's worth pursuing is going to be long-term change. Short-term change is going to have a very minimal net effect on your life. Whereas long-term change, that's where actually you're going to have a pronounced amplified effect that will significantly alter the quality of your your life. Crash dieting for a month to look good for one particular holiday that's coming up in a month's time is going to have a minimal effect on your quality of life overall and minimal results. Whereas slowly, consistently working in healthier habits so that you can have overall a healthier diet and lose weight slowly over time, that's going to have a much more pronounced effect on your quality of life. So that's the general idea. And you can apply this to whatever area you want to work on. So first you want to choose roughly the area you want to approach. So that might be your health, your weight, some habits like smoking, alcohol, drugs, it might be relationships, it might be a hobby that you want to start, that you've always wanted do it might be something to do with your career generally speaking you want to choose something that's actually bothering you something that you actually feel my life would be significantly better if i could do this or if i wasn't doing that so i suppose this is the part of the process where you might do some real soul searching and think what kind of change would have the most effect because in the different areas of your life, there'll be some areas where you're already quite well-developed and some areas maybe where you're not developed at all. And in the areas where you're not developed at all, that's going to be those are going to be the areas where the least action will give you the most results, where that 20% change or that 20% of improvement might give you 80% of the results that you want. Whereas if there's an area you're really quite highly developed in already, you might be at that point where... It's more about tweaks and, and, and nuances and the, the results of those tweaks and nuances might not yield such great results. You might come up with a few resolutions, one where you're at that more fundamental level where it's really making a big change and you might make a couple of resolutions where it's more about those little tweaks, little adjustments. If you're ready, for example, have a reasonably good diet, but there are some areas you're not happy with, you might tweak that a bit. But if you're smoking a pack a day, that's something where there's room to make a huge amount of improvement still. One thing to be aware of is what's called the zone of proximal development in psychology. And this zone will apply to whatever it is, that whatever area you're working on. And the general idea of the zone of proximal development is that you want to identify that sweet spot of challenge where you're definitely putting yourself out of your comfort zone but not so much that you're overwhelming yourself so for example if you don't exercise at all and you want to start exercising it would probably be foolish to start a plan where your intention is to go to the gym six times a week you want to construct a plan and we'll talk about more about planning in a minute but you want to construct a plan that's in that sweet spot that you're actually likely to execute Next, you want to see, you want to think about framing the resolution appropriately. What I mean by that is, I think it's easy to come up with a resolution shooting from the hip. For example, you might be uncomfortable with the amount of alcohol you're drinking. And you might instinctively make the resolution to stop drinking alcohol entirely. But on deeper reflection, or perhaps on talking to someone... You might realize that it's not so much that you depend on alcohol all the time, but maybe you depend on alcohol in particular situations. Maybe there are some situations where you can drink moderately and to a level that you're comfortable with, and some situations where you drink too much. And then maybe on deeper analysis, you might find that in social situations you get quite anxious, and it's response to the anxiety. It's the response to the anxiety that makes you drink alcohol too much and so you can see how a resolution to simply stop drinking alcohol would be a bit inappropriate because it wouldn't it wouldn't address some of the fundamental reasons why you're engaging in the habit you don't want to engage in so after you've picked the area you want to work on you want to think a little bit more deeply about that issue about that problem and see if there are root causes you can identify so instead of I want to stop drinking alcohol entirely, the resolution might be, I want to change my relationship with alcohol such that I don't use it to self-medicate anxiety. And that's the the reason why that's important is because those two different ways of framing the problem call for two very different plans of action. After you've framed the resolution appropriately, you then want to make a plan and... Throughout this whole resolution process, what I can't emphasize enough is the importance of writing things down. The main two reasons are writing things down, it's just going to help to clarify your thinking, make your thinking a lot less nebulous. And it's also inherently motivating, because after you've written things down, you already feel like you're in the behavioral realm, like you're actually acting, like you're actually doing something. And even taking these smaller steps, like writing something down, will get something like dopamine going in your reward circuits. And it'll kickstart that motivation. That's very, very important, particularly at the beginning of a habit. At the beginning of a habit, motivation is crucial to get you started. And then once you develop the habit more and more, it'll become more of an automatic process. Writing things down is very helpful to kickstart that process. And it helps to give you a bird's eye view, to brainstorm different solutions that you might need to different sticking points. And you have to be aware that your plan is going to be dynamic rather than static. So you're going to come up with an initial plan and you're not going to try and make it perfect. You're just going to start, try and move somewhere in the direction of effectiveness with the awareness that as you then try the plan out, you're going to encounter some degree of failure and that's totally okay and acceptable. And you're going to encounter some sticking points which then you're going to adjust your plan around. I suppose the, the kind of character of a New Year's resolution is that you something is bothering you and you think about it on a very surface level, like you smoke, pack a day of cigarettes, you decide you want to stop smoking, you give it a go from 2nd January or whatever, you don't make a plan, you don't think about how to measure your your progress. Eventually you, you rely on willpower alone. And eventually you have a cigarette. Say you have a cigarette around January 15th. You've decided because you have now had a cigarette, then you have absolutely failed. And then since you have failed and you are a failure, then you just get back to smoking the pack a day that you were smoking before. So that's the caricature of a New Year's resolution. And that's what we want to avoid. I would recommend something as simple as Google Docs for making your plan just because it's something you can access on your laptop and on your phone and that ease of convenience makes it extremely effective. I think what's crucial to making plans is you want to use categories to simplify it. This works for vaguer resolutions. You want to get really specific. And that's the, the beauty of the plan is it will take what might seem like a vaguer resolution and allow you to make very specific, actionable points from that. So if your resolution is to get healthier, for instance, that's quite a vague resolution. It's a good resolution, but it's a vague one. So you might, when you're making your plan, divide it into those different categories. So what might comprise getting healthier? It might include sleep, It might include diet, physical exercise, drugs, and alcohol. So you might make all of those different categories in your plan and then figure out what specific actions can you take in each of those areas to move in the direction of health. And that's where you would apply the zone of proximal development that we talked about earlier. If you're currently getting six hours a night of sleep, you might move towards getting seven or eight. If you're already getting eight hours of sleep, maybe that's adequate and you don't have to address sleep so much. You can move on to diet. If your diet is pretty clean, but maybe there are some specific bits that you can work on, then you can make those finer action points based around that. So make a plan with different categories and then in each category, kind of identify what's your zone of proximal development. Where's your sweet spot? We can make that a um, little bit of an improvement that's actually that you're likely to execute ideally in each area you want to pick what's known as a high leverage activity which activities give you the most gain for the least amount of effort for example if you're trying to lose weight Tracking your calories and tracking your weight is a high leverage activity. Doing that will really give you a lot of information and to be very effective in the process of helping you lose weight. Being very careful about when you eat, making sure that you time your meals very meticulously is a low leverage activity because the timing of your meals has a lot less effect on your weight than how much you eat. Now, obviously, as you get more and more advanced in any given area, the less low-hanging fruit there'll be, the less high-leverage activities you'll have to choose from. And inevitably, you'll have to move from higher-leverage activities to lower-leverage activities. That's an acceptable part of the process as you advance in any given endeavor. Let's do another example of a plan, something that's more specific than trying to get healthier. Let's say you want to stop smoking. You might make a plan that comprises of all the different situations where you smoke, because each situation will have its different challenges. So you might think about smoking at home, smoking when you're socializing, smoking at work, and then smoking on particular occasions, celebrations, commiserations, things like that. And then you might in your plan think about what are the different challenges associated with stopping smoking in all of those different situations. Next, what you want to do is make adjustments, work into your plan, the use of positive and negative leverage. What do I mean by that? By positive leverage, I mean using positive emotions to help you move towards your goal, and by negative leverage, I mean use negative emotions to help you towards your goal. So an example of positive leverage is saving all the money that you might have spent on cigarettes towards something that you want to buy. Uh, an example of a simple example of negative leverage is telling all your friends and family that you're pursuing something, so that if you fail, you then have to face the demand of explaining to them that you failed or, or why you failed if, if that happens. So you're really marshaling your positive and negative emotions together to get them flowing in the same direction. Another thing you can do is called future projection, writing down what will happen in the long term both if you succeed in what you're pursuing and if you fail in what you're pursuing. So if you're 30 years old and you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, you could write down a paragraph about what life would be like if you're 60 and still smoking a pack a day, and what life might be like if you're 60 and you've managed to stop smoking. So that's that's really just a way of amplifying, creating a simulation where you amplify the effects of either success or failure into the future to make success or failure seem much more urgent really the problem with resolutions in general is they tend to be long term and as human beings we're very good at reacting to things acutely in the short term and our brains are really wired for that but we're really bad at being aware of the effects of both positive habits and negative habits projected over time One expression in this vein is that we overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. We really don't have an appreciation for the effect of small, consistent habits, both positive and negative, over time as the the effects of those habits compound. And that's really a root of a lot of our suffering, ultimately, is this failure to keep in mind the long term. So next you want to think about measuring your results. Now, measuring your results ties into both positive and negative leverage because results have an inherent motivational factor attached to them. Our reward circuits, which function with the neurotransmitter dopamine, they are activated by the the sense that we're moving towards a desired goal or objective. That's when dopamine is activated. That's why when people do drugs like cocaine, which activate the reward systems, they don't just feel euphoric. They feel like they're they're on the right track towards something good. And that's why it's so, so seductive. It's different from the pleasure one gets from serotonin, say activated by a drug like ecstasy, which more induces a feeling of peace and calm and satisfaction. Whereas dopamine is different. It's more apprehending a desired target or, or goal. So if you get good results, it's going to be inherently motivating because you're going to see that you're moving towards your goal. The danger of bad results, even though it's it's very useful because it's telling you something about what you're doing isn't correct. The danger of bad results is it can be very demotivating. So when you get good results, you want to welcome that motivation and harness it so you can continue moving towards your goal. When you get bad results, you want to view it as dispassionately as possible and don't see it as a reflection of your lack of value or your lack of worth. A bad result is just a signal telling you that something about your process, about what you're doing, isn't working and you need to adjust your plan in some way. So, like that, you can make the best of the good results and use them as fuel. And you can minimize the effect of the bad results and use them appropriately just to let you know that something you're you're doing isn't working correctly. So in this way, you can see how results have... One function of results is to keep you oriented to reality, which is very important when you're pursuing something difficult. But also the other utility of measuring results is it's going to have some effect on your motivation. Another point on this is you should be humble about what results you expect, particularly if you're not very experienced or advanced in the particular area that you're working on. And you should be aware that some results, some progress, is infinitely better than no progress. And you should also be aware that some goals are going to be harder to measure than others. So for example, measuring weight loss is relatively easy, because that's something you can do objectively with a weighing scale. But if your goal is to improve your self-awareness, that's a softer goal, that's going to be harder to measure. And you may have to think creatively about different ways that you can measure, maybe involving other people, maybe coming up with novel measurements yourself. Some measurements will be better than no measurement at all, but you just need to be aware that not all goals are easy to measure. Once you start doing things, you start changing your behavior in some way, you start enacting your plan, and then you start getting results and you start measuring them, you're inevitably going to run into some kind of failure. And as I mentioned before, failure should be anticipated. Some degree of failure should be anticipated, even embraced as just a part of this process. Once you start meeting some failure, let's say your resolution is to stop smoking and on January 15th, you have that cigarette. You want to, again, dispassionately look at that failure and analyze it. Where was your sticking point? What was the problem? Try and think about it as if you were thinking about a friend or a family member or someone that you care about that ran into the same situation. Oftentimes, we're much more compassionate towards people we know than towards ourselves. So what might happen? When someone relapses and has a cigarette is they might berate themselves, feel very guilty, do a lot of self-criticism, and the nature of that self-criticism can be so harsh, can be so high level, you know, thoughts like, well, I'm just a bad person, I don't deserve to stop smoking, I'm terrible at this, which is only going to restart the cycle, completely demotivate you, and make you re-engage in the habit again fully. Instead, you want to kind of look at, look at it from this in one way detached, but in another sense, compassionate point of view. So you want to look at it with this detached compassion that you might apply towards a friend or a family member. Think, okay, so January 15th, you had a cigarette. What was the situation where you had the cigarette? Why was it hard on January 15th and not on January 14th? What were the particular issues in that situation which likely contributed to your failure? And therefore, what could you do in the future to avoid that and increase your chances of success? To some degree, this is a measurement problem as well, because if you make it till January 15th and you have one cigarette, if you measure your success only in absolute terms, whether or not you smoke at all, then you've totally failed. But if you choose to measure your results differently, for example, the frequency of smoking cigarettes, then even if you have that cigarette on January 15th, you can still consider yourself and you are still very successful because you've cut down your smoking from a pack a day, 20 cigarettes a day, to one cigarette in two weeks, which by any standard is a huge success. So part of this will be the previous step, thinking very carefully about how you measure your results in a way that's maximally motivating and minimally demotivating. And that's going to increase your chances of success more and more across time. Another thing to be aware of is that whenever you pursue something difficult, your mind is going to throw up a lot of mental noise. And that mental noise can take the shape of that self-criticism that we described earlier, but also just random thoughts and self-talk that can be very counterproductive. But when you're thinking about success in the long term, you really, you don't want, you want to be process oriented on any given day. You want to think what is, what are the correct actions that I should be doing rather than what are my results today? So to recap so far, we've talked about picking an area you want to work on, framing the resolution appropriately, making a plan. Working in positive and negative leverage into that plan to maximize your motivation. Measuring your results as a a way of marking your progress and again to maximize motivation and to minimize demotivation. And now I'll just talk about some final points that are worth keeping in mind with any kind of behavior change. As we talked about, your motivation will fluctuate and some of this you can control, but a lot of it you can't. A lot of it's kind of inexplicable. There'll be some days where you feel very, very motivated to continue making progress in whatever area you chose and some, some moments where you'll feel demotivated. What you need to be aware of is that when your motivation is waning, it's going to be one of two things which will help you through One is the exercise of specific discipline or willpower. And the other is the use, the the power of habit itself. Discipline or willpower will come into play relatively early on in the behavior change, say within the first three months of the behavior change. You'll probably need to use a lot more discipline in moments where your motivation is waning, where you just have to force yourself to do whatever it is you're trying to do, even though you don't want to. And of course, you need to be aware that willpower is finite. It does get stronger the more you use it, but you only have a finite amount of willpower. So that's why we talk so much about maximizing positive motivation and minimizing demotivation, because you really want to minimize the use of your willpower. But the more you make your habit a part of your life over time, the more the power of habit itself will take over. Think about it this way. There are some things you do in your life, many things actually, that don't require any positive motivation and aren't really affected by a negative motivation. You just do them because you've always done them. For example, you don't need any motivation to brush your teeth every day. That's something you do because it's something you've always done. And human beings are habit-forming creatures. We like that. Most of the things that we do, we do automatically without having to think about them without having to be motivated to do them, and without having to exercise willpower. So the long-term goal is to incorporate whatever new behaviour you're working on into just one of your daily habits, and that will happen over the course of a few months. After that, it'll have a momentum all of its own, and then motivation won't be as necessary, although there will still be fluctuations in motivation, and it will probably be easier when you're more motivated and harder when you're less motivated motivation will be less crucial to doing whatever it is you want to do. A good book about this is uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is a deep dive into the into the process of, of forming new habits into your life. So in those initial few months, what you want to do is anticipate when are, when is it likely that I will need more willpower and discipline, and then how can I prepare for those moments Accordingly. The next point I want to mention is you want to allow for what's called identity level change. A lot of what makes changing our behavior hard is the change that it involves in our identity. For example, people may find it difficult to stop smoking because smoking may to them represent something deep about their personality. So, smoking might for them be symbolic of their rebellious attitude or maybe even a self-destructive attitude, or maybe an attitude of a kind of general irreverence towards towards rules or towards what's considered conventionally good. That's just one example. And you have to be aware that with both changes big and small, the longer you enact those changes, there is going to be that accompanying identity-level change. If you go from someone who doesn't exercise at all eventually over a period of months and years to someone who goes to the gym six times a week, that's not just going to be a superficial behavioural change, that's going to be a change in your identity. You're going to start to think of yourself as a more athletic person, as the kind of person that goes to the gym. And to allow for that change to happen, there may be parts of you that you have to allow to die, as harsh as that sounds. You have to be aware that this is going to affect you, particularly over the long term, on a very deep level and if you're not prepared for it, it this will become a sticking point. And it may be where the process ultimately fails for you, again, if you're not prepared for it. When it comes to more deep-rooted psychological issues and how they interact with this process of behaviour change, you could refer to our other audio essay, Reality vs. Fantasy, the last one we released, which is a bit about how some of our deep-rooted psychological issues can be linked to the way that we see the world and how they can move us away from being reality oriented and more lost in a kind of conscious or unconscious fantasy. So if you think that your resolution might be related to some deeper rooted issues, you could listen to reality versus fantasy as well, and that can help. The last point I want to mention is this kind of a general way of thinking about this. Every behavior that you do is a collision with reality that you can learn from. Every time you try a diet, every time you try a new exercise program, even if you just try it once, every time you interact with someone, all of these are collisions with reality that give you the opportunity to learn something about how you could move towards what you want and how you could move away from what you don't want problem is most of those, most people have these collisions with reality without taking any notice of what can be learned. And really that, that's what this whole process is about. It's about being very conscious and deliberate in what you do in these areas where you're having trouble or in these areas where you feel there's something that you want to be different. So be very intentional about how you behave And then very observational about what the results of those behaviours are. Because those results can then inform how you could tweak your behaviour or change it in the future. And ultimately get the results, get the success that, that you want. You are listening to the Thinking Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend or give us a rating. It really does help people to find us. If you find the podcast valuable, why not buy us a coffee to help keep us going? There's a link in the show notes. As ever, we love to hear from you and love to hear what you think. So drop us an email or get in touch on social media. Thank you so much.